Welcome to the Everything Leaves podcast. This should be a fun episode. Uh, no wins this week, so I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. Nick, let's get right to it. The question that's on everyone's mind. Lafreniere, do you like him with <laughs> Matthews Nylander or do you like him with Tavares Marner? Uh, to be honest, I don't like either of those lines. I'll probably put him next to Gauthier on the fourth line. That way that fourth line can have some offense uh, when they have 80% zone starts, they could, defensive zone starts. They could use some. Honestly, yeah. So I think he'll fit in really nicely right there. He might be best on the Marlies when he can actually play on a decent power play. Um, another option. Yeah, next to Bracco. Next to Bracco. Yeah, they've got options if they get him. Well, uh, we'll have to get into whether we want him or Byfield because I think... Looks like we're gonna be uh, we might be down there at this point. So I know last episode we asked how many points did you need in this past week in order to be happy. You said four. They got zero. Uh, so there there was the five four loss to the Islanders. That was just a weird game. It was four two basically. The Islanders scored an empty netter that ended up being the game winner. Uh, we then had Tavares and and Hall score. There's a late push, but but no luck. So that was a loss. They then had the tough back-to-back, and I think we knew it was going to be a tough week going in, but uh, a tough loss to Boston, which is 3-2, then an empty netter to make it 4-2. Uh, and then just got crushed by Pittsburgh 6-1. Uh, second half of a back-to-back, we saw Cascasuo called up, and uh, I mean, they, they let in six. Uh, so just just a tough, tough stretch of games here. Uh but before we start complaining, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of complaining. Let's start with the three stars of, of this week. I know it's going to be tough, Nick, but uh, who is who is one of your three stars? Yeah, no, definitely was a tough week, and it's so difficult to find bright spots when you have three losses in a row, and some of them were more brutal than the others. But my first star, uh, I'll go with Zach Hyman. He came back, and you could see the immediate impact he had. Uh, he set up that goal, the Kapanen goal against Boston, which was a big... I don't want to say turning point because they lost in the end, but it looked like they were going to really compete at the end there after that. And I, I really liked Hyman's game. Uh, second star, I'll give it to Matthews. Uh, wasn't great last night. I thought he was going to have a better night against Pittsburgh, especially since they only had Malkin as a, a top center with Crosby out. But uh, he had that really good goal against uh, Boston, uh, the tip goal. So just for that, it's been such it's been such a tough week for Leafs players that that one goal for Matthews is going to get him in the three stars and. I'll uh, give the last one to Kazmir Kaskasuo. Put in a tough situation last night against a good Pittsburgh team, even with the injuries. And I thought, you know, he, he got scored on quite a bit, but you can't really blame him for that loss. I thought he played really good in his first NHL game. Uh, who would you say your third three stars are? I had Hyman too. I just think I I think I missed him. He plays heavy hockey. He's he's always been a he's always had good on ice results in terms of the more like when you look at something like RAPM or or any type of play driving stat, Hyman's been outstanding, and just nice to have him back. Um, and then I had, I didn't have Kaskasu, I didn't have Matthews. Uh, I still had William Neander yet again. Um, I just think he's been one of their most consistent forwards. I know Matthews has the high goal, goal totals, and I'm not taking anything away from Matthews, but Neander's just been outstanding this year, and uh, I think I think we expected him to be good, but uh, he's really kind of taking on a, a big role, and I would say he's done everything we, we could have asked him to do. So I've uh, been impressed with him pretty consistently. And then I'll say Kasperi Kapp, and I know at the start of the year he didn't play too well uh, with Tavares. I didn't think he played too well with Matthews in the playoffs last year, but uh, I've liked how he stepped into that role so far, and uh, I, I, I'm hoping he can keep it up because – they do have a huge hole in their lineup without Marner, and, and I'm hoping he can keep this up. Uh, so what did you think, before we get into this next week here, what did you think of my my two choices? I know you didn't have Nylander and Kapanen in there. Uh, were, they in, were, were they in consideration for you, at least? Yeah, I mean, I think that I've, I think I've had Nylander twice, uh, last week and the week before, so I couldn't, I had to switch it up a little bit or else... If, if I would have Nylander in my three stars every week thus far this year, he's been that good. He, you're, It's almost coming to a point where anytime I see something negative about Nylander, I just kind of zone it out because it's tough to really take those criticisms seriously anymore, especially the ones from this year. Um, he's been that good to me. 
and um, your other one was Kasperi Kapanen. I mean, it, it's so tough to even say the three stars this week because it's really just been flashes of of good play. Even my three stars with with Matthews, especially, he's he's been quiet for parts of this week. So I think the same could be said about Kapanen. I mean, really, no one has had a very a great week this week. We're kind of just picking straws right now, but. Um, I know a major talking point this week has been Tyson Berry, and he was in, um, I think it was Elliot Friedman was talking about there might be some interest in Barry uh, because he hasn't had a very good start and he's in his contract year. What did you think of those comments, and do you think he can turn it around? So I think with Barry, and I know everyone wants to talk about Babcock because, I mean, that's probably going to be the bulk of this, this episode, but uh, I think there is also a problem with some of the players, and you could put some of the blame there. And I think example one is Tyson Berry, as you said. So uh, the Leafs traded a very key player in, in Nazem Kadri for him. Uh, at the time, I mean, they haven't had a, a right-shooting defenseman of his caliber uh, in, in years. So I think the, there was a lot of hype around it. Uh, he's a guy who's been very close to 60 points in the past. Uh, one of the high-end offensive defensemen in the league. And... I mean, the defensive concerns that I had coming in have, have been there. Uh, but the offense has just dried up. I know you can blame power play time. He, he was top five in the league last year in power play time. Played with Nathan McKinnon. He's a pretty good player, uh, to say the least. But even at five on five, he's just not generating much. I know some of that is, is probably shooting luck. But uh, I think he is probably the the biggest player you can look at and say we need more from you and uh, I don't think you can blame all of that on Babcock uh, what, what's your perspective there do you think it's mostly on Babcock or, or are you putting some of the blame on Barry himself I think somewhere in the middle you definitely have to put some of the blame on Tyson Barry and when you look at his statistics across the board it's it's pretty interesting he currently is tied with Matthews in shots on net um, at five on five really yeah, at 52. And I was expected, I was, when I was looking at it this morning, I was really surprised too. And even individual Corsi, he's the top player on the team right now. So, and then when you look at individual expected goals, he's almost at the bottom of the team. Uh, he's trailing guys like Gauthier and Spezza and um, Muzzin. So even like using the eye test, you can see that he's taking a lot of shots from the point and a lot of them are from low danger areas, something that has been really well documented this year. But, and and uh, talking about the whole Babcock thing, and I know we're going to get into it later, it's, I, I didn't think it was Babcock's fault or he really had anything to do with it. I thought that Barry was just playing, you know, worse than he has been in the past. But I think Babcock, what he says in his post-game press conferences and when he talks to the media, gets him into some trouble sometimes. Uh, when he said that, he was talking about how Barry wasn't on the, first power play and I'm paraphrasing here but he said something along the lines of when now that he's not on that first power play we want him to reinvent his game to still be effective so after he used those words I thought I was a little bit skeptical and, and I mean you can read into that that line as much as you want and kind of make your own narratives I kind of was definitely questioning that because Barry's had a pretty big sample He's had years of being a good offensive player, and as you said, he's a 60-point defenseman. And now, all of a sudden, he comes into a new system with a new coach on a new team, and the thing that he's done so consistently over the years has just dried up completely. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, th I think we'll get into Babcock, because I know, I know that's going to be a big topic. Uh, but with Barry, I think it's... Part of it, I think, is he just needs a couple breaks. Like, if he did play on the power play or if he played a bigger role in the power play, maybe he gets a little bit more confidence. Maybe he starts making a few more plays. So from that angle, I think I agree. But uh, he just needs to execute. Like, he's playing with a good defenseman in Jake Muzzin. If you look at his partners in Colorado, it wasn't – he didn't have Muzzin. Just, he had – I mean, I think he was with Zadorov for a while. Uh, maybe Ian Cole. I'll have, to, I'll have to look back. Patrick Nemeth comes to mind. Um, so he didn't have Muzzin, and he did get a lot of offensive zone starts. He did play a lot with McKinnon, but we saw this guy make plays over and over. If you if you YouTube Tyson Berry's highlight reels, 
they're impressive, and we just haven't seen that. So I think the Leafs need him to go on a stretch here uh, where, you know, he could put up, you know, six points in three games. He's, he's that kind of defenseman. So uh, I'm, I'm, I do think we need to put some of the blame on Barry himself. I think he, he should be producing more at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, I don't think Babcock's the only reason to blame there. Uh, the other guys I'll, I'll put some blame on. Uh, I don't know if I've been all that impressed with Tavares. I think Matthew's line has has produced this year pretty consistently. I'm, I don't think we can say the same about Tavares. They've Obviously, Marner wasn't having the best season at even strength. Uh, I think the Tavares-Kapitan duo looked pretty good so far, so I'm hoping that continues. But uh, I put a little bit of blame on Tavares and then like Makayev, I think has kind of fallen off. Goche's fallen off after a after a pretty good start. Uh, I think you can put quite a lot of blame on Riley for his his defense so far. He, I mean, he hasn't taken a step forward there. It seems so. Uh, I do think there's at least a few. You can put at least some of the blame on the players, um, even if say they did fire Babcock. I think they're not guilt free here. Yeah, they're definitely not guilt-free. Um, but like talking about the Tavares thing, for for me, he's definitely looked different. But I kind of give him a few excuses just because his line has been so in limbo. Like he's missed time, Marner's missed time, obviously Hyman's missed time. So with him, I'm not really too concerned just yet. Uh, once they all get healthy and we have a like they were very good last year. They were against top lines. We saw them in the playoffs. They were very very good. So, and Tavares has a big enough sample of him being very, very good in the NHL. And I don't see why all of a sudden this year he should just drop off. Um, I've heard some hot takes about that, like this, <laughs> about like him having a baby and and um, the captaincy and all that stuff. The pressures. Of yeah, it. exactly. So I don't yeah. really put too much into that. And I think it's too early to just all of a sudden put the blame onto that. So with Tavares, I'm okay. Riley is is a topic of its own, I feel. I think we should we could even have a podcast on Morgan Riley this year in itself. I think that defensively he looks I think defensively I think he's always been shaky, to be honest. He but in the past he's had those power play points to kind of mask and for to help us forget about his defen- defensive uh, inabilities. Um and he's also even five on five. He's had point he's been a very good point producer. He's still producing, actually. Like he's got seventeen points in twenty-two games. It's just there's been a f- more than a few highlight real defensive miscues where uh, we're we're really kind of highlighting his defense this year, just because there's been so many mistakes. And I I, I get it that he doesn't have great partners, um, but at some point it's up to him to take that step forward to, defensively and. In terms of Tavares, I don't think, as you said, I'm not worried about him long-term. I don't think it's like any pressure or, or the baby or the pressures of the captaincy. Um, but I, I do think you need to ask a little bit more from him. Um, and then that, that third line, like, I don't know if we've seen... I would have liked a little bit more from Spezza. Uh, I thought he was a little bit weak the other night. Uh, I, think it was the, I think it was the Pittsburgh game. Um... Or actually, it was the Boston game where I thought he was weak defensively. And then, I mean, like guys like Mikhaev, Goche falling off. I mean, they just they just haven't had a very consistent bottom six. Now, I think part of that is on Babcock, and, and we'll get into that shortly. Uh, I will say that I think last week they did have a bit of a tough schedule. The Islanders in Long Island, that's a tough game. Uh, there's a very good crowd, uh, so it's a tough road game. And then Boston's one of the best teams in the NHL. And then the game that really disappointed me was was Pittsburgh. I think there's no Crosby, there's there's no Latang, there's no Horn, Hornquist. Uh, they were playing their backup goalie as well, and, and to lose six one, that's the game out of the three that was the most concerning to me. Yeah, especially since Pittsburgh was also on a back to back, and they had their backup um, goalie, and it was really like minimal excuses for that one especially the way that they lost they really didn't compete it looked like they were I don't really like to put the whole effort thing into this I don't think the Leafs really have effort problems but last night really made it quite me question it they didn't look very good throughout the whole game 
really, and they never really were competitive in that game. And I, I noticed, I mean, the the goalie we were going up against, Tristan Jari, uh, Chris Johnson had mentioned that, that he might be a trade target for the Leafs. Uh, so they called up Kaskasuo after he recorded last week. What's your take on the backup goalie situation? Would you would you have gone to Kaskasuo instead of Hutchison? And would you be aggressively targeting someone like Jari in a trade right now? Or, or would you give Kaskasuo a bit longer of a chance? I know he was in your three stars, but I'm, I'm thinking more for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, for now, I guess you play it by year where you're... You continue to target uh, backup goalies that won't cost you very much, and and if something kind of falls into your lap or something that makes sense, you can make the trade. And till then, you keep Kaskasuo in there. I think he played pretty good last year. Whether uh, sorry, last night, um, whether he's a long term solution, probably not. And again, goalies are so difficult to predict. So who knows? But uh, I mean, I was. I was indifferent about them bringing in Kaskasuo in the first place. He, I mean, Hutchison was clearly struggling, and a lot of people were giving, were, were kind of saying that Hutchison was in a tough spot, and I don't think the Leafs played very well in front of him. But, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the backup goalie's job. He has to play those back-to-back games, and he's going to have to play one of them, whether it's the second one or the first one. Right. So it's not always the most ideal situation for any backup goalie. And um, I mean, again, I, I'm not going to be as hard on Hutchison. And I think that a lot of the goals that people were really going nuts about, saying that they were soft, were kind of borderline um, against him. And, and the Leafs really didn't play that bad. So I'm indifferent about that. Yeah, I'd say for... I mean, Hutchison was in a bit of a tough spot. I think he didn't play too well, but um, just for like a, a backup on Casca, the history of Cascasuo here. So he was pretty brutal with the Marlies last year up until the end um, when he kind of caught fire. So he caught fire towards the end of the regular season, had a strong playoffs, had a strong start to the year uh, with the Marlies, but just hasn't had much of a track record of success. It's been kind of like a short-lived uh, successful AHL stint. And I just don't think there's enough there in order to be too confident in him as, as the Leafs backup goalie. Um, so I'd give him another maybe few games, see how he's doing. Uh, I'd be strongly considering a trade just because I think the Leafs are going to need every point they can get. But one point I did want to make is, I mean, it, this next week, it's going to be an interesting week, obviously, Babcock's on the hot seat. Uh, they're coming off a five-game losing streak here, but um, they got a tough game on, on Vegas on Tuesday, and then they got Arizona at Air, all on the road at Arizona, at Colorado, at Detroit, and then a back-to-back with Buffalo. So they'll get a little bit easier after that Colorado game. I think uh, Detroit and Buffalo are, are a little bit easier, but uh, Anderson should play the next five games. So I think that does give the Leafs a little bit of time here to, to do something and hopefully a little bit of time to go on a run. But I don't know about you, but I see at Vegas and at Colorado and I get uh, a little bit concerned. I think those are tough opponents, especially when you have, I mean, Vegas has the uh, the strip there that's quite dangerous. And then you have uh, the, the Kadri game on, on Saturday. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, and I don't even think you can sleep on the Arizona game either. I mean, they're a pretty good team right now. They're, uh, I think they're second in the Pacific right now. They're they're top three team in that Pacific team in the Pacific Division right now. So I wouldn't even chalk that up as an easy game either. And the way the Leafs are playing, I mean, it doesn't look too good right now. But no, um, yeah, I mean, Anderson should start, so I'm hoping that they're competitive. But I I wouldn't really. Put, I, I wouldn't bet money on the Leafs right now for those next three games. Not so much, halfly because of how the, how they're playing, and and half because of their opponents. Right, and I think I'm putting you on the spot here, but when you look at this lineup, so this lineup without Marner, out of the forward lines, when you're matching up against the average team, which matchup do you think you're winning? How many of the four lines do you think are winning their matchup? Yeah, so I would say one for sure. Definitely the Matthews line on a consistent basis, they're winning what they're pretty much dominating the team that they're the line that they're against. Uh Tavares has been a little bit the Tavares line has been a little bit inconsistent, but 
again, we've seen them at full health when it's Marner, Hyman, and Tavares. We've seen them play well and outplay other teams' top lines in the past. So again, I'll I'll give that a pass. Um, when Kerfoot, Kapanen, and Mikheyev are out, they looked pretty good. I think that could be a really good third line. But again, I'm not completely confident that they can outplay another team's third line. But again, we haven't really seen a huge sample of them together. So that one's still in question. And the fourth line, definitely, I would say, is getting is is getting shelled in their own end right now. And they're getting the high defensive zone starts. I think that's a good segue because last week we... I know I was a little bit skeptical of that fourth line and the usage that they get. The ship starts with a face-off. I don't know the percentage off by heart, but it's not all the time. And a lot of shifts start on the fly. So to make roster decisions based off of that, are I thought was a little bit silly. And now another week of seeing that fourth line being used in the defensive zone start in a spread that's so high. It's still at around 80% now. And... I think I'm kind of over that fourth line usage. Would you agree? Yeah, I think the fourth line is basically being used in a role where they're only taking defensive zone starts. It's almost like face-off, get-off. So you're not getting any offense from Goche. You're not getting any offense from Shore. So right away, when I look at the four lines, I say, okay, you're probably not outscoring your opponent when that fourth line's on the ice. I think, as you said, that Matthews line is where you is where you try to win. So... Uh, they play. They don't play other top lines. They're normally playing second or third lines. Uh, you have the Matthews Nylander combo that's been outstanding. I think quite consistently, as you said, that's that's the line where you win. But in terms of right now, these lines today, no Kerfoot, no Marner, no more. Like, do you see the Leafs winning the Tavares matchup on most nights? Do you see them winning the Spezza matchup on most nights? I would say no to both. Uh, do you agree there? Yeah, God no. Right. So yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that that third line right now is pretty makeshift, and I mean we're seeing examples of they're just not really generating any offense, and they're really relying on that first line. And so it's I think you said it last week or the week before. They're almost like the Boston Bruins now, where the goal is just waste time when the Matthews line isn't out, and then as soon as the Matthews line's on, you hope that they score, but. Unfortunately, that Matthews line isn't Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, so it hasn't worked out as well as maybe designed. Right, and they have, they don't have the power play that Boston does, obviously. So, I mean, when you, I think the first thing I look at when I, because I think it's well documented now, the Leafs don't have the same offense that they've had in previous seasons, at least not to date. And I look at this roster, uh, these lineups right now, and I say, okay, yeah, they're going to win the Matthews matchup, but I just don't see them winning the other three. And because of the injuries right now, I don't think I would use that defensive zone line anymore. Like, it makes more sense to me when you're saying, okay, we have Tavares on one line, Matthews on the other. We think we can win the Kerfoot matchup on most nights, so let's just have a fourth line that wastes time. But I think now the Leafs are at a point where I think they need to, to get more where they were last year when they had Ennis and, and Moore on that fourth line and they're actually scoring against other fourth lines because you don't have a ton of offense on that Spezza line right now. I know they scored against Pittsburgh, but... Uh, and then the other thing is Tavares is going out. Uh, he's going out up against stacked lines sometimes, like the Boston line, and his line's not stacked. Like With all due respect to Hyman and, and Kapanen, uh, he doesn't have the same kind of wingers that someone like like Bergeron has or, or someone like McKinnon has when they go play when they go play Colorado. So, I mean, whether he's up against Stone, Bergeron, I think Tavares is losing most nights. Would you keep that, that Gauthier-Shore duo together or would you look for some sort of change there? I think you have to look for a change right now. And and the only reason I'm saying that is, one, they haven't been very ineffective. They haven't been very effective, as we've talked about. But also, they have the options to ice a better fourth line that can provide you some offense, um, especially now with a little bit more cap due to the injuries. Like you have guys like Aber that you can bring up or Engvall or even Brocco if you wanted to kind of take a swing at that. So there's really no reason to keep running that fourth line right now like that because they need to they need to win those fourth line versus fourth line battles right now. There's, and, and they could use all the offense they can get because 
there's a huge dip in their offensive production. And even if you look at expected goals, and this is something that's talked about quite a lot, it is a huge dip between last year and this year, and probably the biggest difference between last year's team and and this year's team. So um, they have the options to do that. They have the players. So I think they, they have to do something about it. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. So with, I mean, whether it's, I mean, we've seen Babcock scratch Spezzo, we've seen him scratch Patan in favor of more defensive players. And at this point, he's kind of playing who he has to play just because they don't have any spares um, other than Timashov right now. But uh, just with all the injuries, it's he's kind of playing what he has to play. But he's taken a very defensive stance. And I think, like, when I went back and I was, like, this offseason, when I went and watched games from last year I remember at the start of the year seeing a line with Goche and Lindholm and they just did nothing they got no scoring chances ever and that's what this Goche Shore line's reminding me of and it's like why are we wasting time when there's not much offense to speak of on this team why don't we why don't we try Jeremy Bracco why don't we try Pierre Engvall which if you if you think of Marley's which Marley would you be calling up right now because they have tons of cap space who would you who would you give an opportunity to here if anyone I think Pontus Aberg for me I know Pierre Engvall is it's debatable to say if he should come up I think that they both have kind of taken over that line on the Marlies the Korshkov um, Engvall Aberg line they've they've been really good the last couple games I'd be interested to see Engvall too but I one of those two I'm kind of having a debate in my head personally um Bracco for me unless you are really concerned about that second power play I think that's really the only reason why you'd want to bring him up over the other two uh Korshkov for me hasn't really still hasn't really shown um much other than those goals at the beginning of the season and he's really being outshone by his line mates right now so would you, would you also say Bergen and Engvall or do you have someone else in mind uh I think with Engvall what appeals to me there is that he's a he plays center B, he, he, I, I would, I would take out Goche in his favor because I think he can be the left-handed face-off guy. Uh, he's a little bit better in transition. He has a better shot. He's going to provide at least some offense. I think he's got five goals in his last three games. Um, and we're recording this during the Marlies game, so maybe he'll he'll add to that. But uh, my guess is is five goals in three games. That's probably what we're going to end up as. Um, he's been. He's not going to be an offensive star, but I think he, he can penalty kill uh, and he can provide at least some offense that Goche's not bringing um, while still having a lot of the same strengths. And then, I mean, Aberg, I'd be okay with. I think Shore's there for his, I mean, they need a right-hand face-off guy. I think that's what, why he's there. Um, I don't really mind if one or Shore or, or Goche's in the lineup, but when you have both there and you have them on the same line, it's just you're never gonna score. It feels like even if, regardless of who's on the left wing there, like it feels like, and maybe this is a good segue to get into the Babcock criticism because I think that's gonna be a big topic here. Um, it, it it just feels like I'd like to see guys like Patan or or Spezza at least some nights over the Shore Goche duo. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't know if you're in love with the the fourth line duo here, but. When everyone's healthy, like, do you want to see Patan more, or are you kind of over Patan now? No, definitely not over Patan. I've like really been a fan of him this year. The Knicks stay together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but not so much with Nick Shore. I think he was one of my. <laughs> oh yeah, never mind. A guy that I really wanted to. Yeah, never mind. We're gonna scratch that. Before that was true, but not not so much anymore. Nick Shore had to ruin it this year. But uh, no, I like like I said. I mean. That I sorry, like you said, the last year that Ennis and Moore duo was really good, and I think that they could replicate that this year with Patan and Moore, especially when they become when the whole team comes healthy. And again, whether they could fit Patan in the team, we're not really sure when they're fully healthy. But at least right now, you got to win that fourth line, fourth line. And like you said, with the ba- with Babcock to get into that criticism, I was oh, I was about 70% against that fourth line, but I think I got to in the 90% when I saw that fourth line jump over the boards with three minutes to go in the game against Boston. That was, for me, like kind of pushed me over the edge 
where if, if you're using them only for defensive zone starts to rest your top players, that's one thing. But with three minutes to go, and I know that Tavares and Matthews just got a shift, and I, I understand that, but you can you have a third line for a reason that has more offensive ability than your fourth line. And you also have a timeout there that you can use to rest either Matthews or Tavares. So there was really no excuse to have that fourth line jump on because they were in their own end for like 30 seconds. Then they got out, they got out of the zone, they kind of dumped it out, they made a change, and really, it, there was no positive out of that. So I'm not sure how you feel about that one. All right, so this is going to be, we're going to be here a while, I think. So with, with Babcock, I'll start by saying I think it's tough to know, it's tough to separate the legitimate criticism from from kind of the irrational criticism out there. I know there's there's plenty of criticism of Babcock on Twitter. Uh, I can guarantee you if, you if I opened it right now, one of the first tweets would be about Babcock. So I think the one thing that I'll say is a little bit of BS would be the whole Stifles offense thing. If you look at the Leafs, if you look at the Leafs numbers over a over a large stretch here, so multiple years, he's had great results. The Leafs have always been a top goal a top team in terms of expected goals um, at five on five. And to say that he's, he stifles creativity or that he uh, he's killing the offense out of the players. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think it's a systematic thing uh, per se that's, that's causing that, or at least I don't see strong evidence. Um, The other thing, I mean, there are things where I call them, it can be annoying and, and people get frustrated with them. Like uh, when he criticized, he didn't criticize the Muzzin trade, but when he talked about the handedness right afterwards. Um, and then we've seen some Nylander comments over the years. People have gotten frustrated. Um, how he likes boring hockey. We've seen those comments. And then we've seen in terms of the goalie back-to-backs, that's been a controversial topic. So I don't think those are fireable offenses. I think those are just kind of people are going to get annoyed with them. Um, for me, in terms of stifling offense, it's that fourth line. I think that's key uh, because we're just seeing no offense there. Um, but there is a long list. So when you think of a legitimate criticism for Babcock, something you think you feel strongly, I mean, there's going to be some just because he's been here for five years, but what's one thing that, A, you would either do differently or, or B, that's just you find pretty frustrating? Um, yeah, I mean, one's that fourth line, but I think of think I've wasted my energy on that one already. But uh, another one I would say is, like I said earlier, I think that what he says really gets him into trouble a lot. And and the whole stifling offense thing, like I said last week, I, I think that I still see defensemen jumping up into the play when they're transitioning the puck. So I, I don't really see them being conservative that way. And I still see them have a decently aggressive forecheck. I don't, I don't see them really being too conservative there, but it's more in the in the things that Babcock says that kind of sparks a lot of the criticism that he gets. For example, like after the LA Kings game, I think their expected goals that game was under 1.4, just something really low. They had a really good defensive game. And after the game he said it was a beautiful game and he thought it was he thought it was a great game. Where and obviously, everyone watching at home thought is is wondering why can't the Leafs generate better chances against the LA Kings? The Kings, um, and right, and I think that's where the whole stifling offense thing comes from. Is when you're watching a team that's as offensively talented as the Leafs, and they can't produce anything that's dangerous, or or even if they can, it there's few and far between. And then the coach comes out and says, "I thought that was fantastic." then I think those areas of concern there, whether there's two options you have, you either believe that and you say, okay, well, he clearly was happy that they didn't really generate too much and that they had a really good defensive game or two, you just don't really believe what he said. Yeah. I think with like with his comments, it's, I understand that some people are going to get frustrated just because they have different views. Um, but for me, it's more like the words are one thing, but what are the actions? So, like, if he's if he's criticizing Nylander, but he's still playing in twenty minutes, like, I'm okay with that. Um, 
I, I'm really caring about the minutes, the usage, because um, I, I think that speaks volumes in terms of who he trusts and, and who he wants to play. Uh, I think when it, as we go on here with well, I think that like when we're talking about the fourth line, like him putting that fourth line out with three minutes left, like that's a classic sign of of playing not to get scoring on rather than looking to win and tie the game up and 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 score. So I think there are actions that back it up. Oh, I, I I'm not calling that one illegitimate. I think I would have even played the Spezza line if you wanted to give the other two lines a rest. I mean, I probably would have called the timeout if I if I really wanted to rest them. But uh, yeah, I I didn't get that one. I think more kind of I'm thinking more long term criticisms. That's just like obviously I think it's legitimate, but just more one game. Um, I think one is he does struggle to find out who his best players are. So uh, we look at last year's team we look at the previous year's teams uh we saw kind of an over-reliance on on Hainsey on Zaitsev we saw an over-reliance on Komarov on Marlowe for most of the year uh normally by playoff time he's he's a little bit better um I've, I've liked the playoff lineups in general uh not everything about them like I would have played Nylander with Matthews to start the playoffs last year but uh there has been some some positives in terms of the playoff lineups but uh, we, we've seen, like, Justin Hall, I, I think he's had a good year. Uh, we talked about him a lot last episode. Uh, the fact that he didn't get any type of chance against Igor Ozaganov last year, out of all people, like, and the question is, like, we saw it with Levo. I think Levo gets talked about a little bit too much, but, like, Patan right now, if, if he ends up being, if he ends up being a valuable contributor for the team next year, like, I'm going to come back to Babcock and say, like, why wasn't he playing earlier? Like, did he all of a sudden become this player, or did, were you just wrong? So, I mean, the Hall or Ozaganov thing I find frustrating, uh, just because I didn't think Ozaganov brought much to the table, and he doesn't really experiment with the D. We haven't seen Dermot in the top four. Uh, and then, I mean, this is opening up a, a new can of worms here, but uh, Cody Cece is, is still playing with Riley. Uh, they're kind of glued together, and, and we just haven't seen any type of combination. So uh, I know, I mean, you can probably rant about this as well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious what degree of concern you have in terms of in terms of who he's playing and how much he's playing everyone. Yeah, first I'm going to touch upon that. I think you brought up a good point about um, him not really trusting players and, and kind of being late to the party in terms of, using people and I think two good examples were Kapanen and Janssen uh there's one thing to over marinate players in the AHL something I think the Leafs organization's done a really good job in but once they come to the NHL I think that and, and this really good examples like I said were, were Kapanen and Janssen I felt like they should have been put in the top nine a little bit earlier than they were they kind of sat on that fourth line for far too long and now we're starting to see that kind of similar treatment of players on their um, ELCs that are coming up from the Marlies with Travis Dermott, like you said. Dermott's the big I one. I don't see... Dermott's... It's almost inexcusable at this point. I know he's made some mistakes in his own end this week, and those are kind of the things that, as soon as they happen, I feel like Babcock watches it and says, oh, well, see, guys, I was right. That's why he's not in the top four right now. And and obviously, I'm, I'm assuming there, but it's just... It's crazy to me that he hasn't been at least tried in the top four, and we know that he can play on the right side. So uh, when it comes to that, I mean, I think that he ha- he should have been he should have been put up there by now. But uh, with the Riley CC thing, and I, I think that's kind of a really interesting debate right now because Riley hasn't been very good this season, and then when you look at the you kind of dive in further with Cody CC, he he's charted out pretty good this year with um despite the competition he's he's faced and I know Dube has talked about the referendums that occur online <laughs> due to uh Cody CC I'm still kind of in between on that I think what Dube said was right I think that he it's true I mean he he has been better than what we expected and I mean not a lot of us have expected a lot but he he has looked decent in that line I mean he shouldn't be in that in that role at at all but he hasn't looked too bad in it so I'm not so sure about that one just yet yeah I think the challenge too is you have three right shooting defensemen you have three left shooting defensemen 
they're all they're all playing well enough to stay in the lineup. I think you do get a challenge of okay, if you move Dermot up, then are you going two lefts on one pair, two rights on one pair? Maybe there's a bit of a disadvantage, but I do think you have to get Dermot more minutes uh, at some point. I think I at least want to see it. I know it hasn't been a great week for Dermot, um, but I mean you see the you see him just elude four checkers. You see him prevent zone entries. I think he's been he's been good, like not just this year, but uh, he's been pretty consistently good as a Leaf, and I at least want to see it. If yeah, the, the good always the bad for sure. And like you you don't know until you try it. It's it's one of those where maybe you put Riley with with Dermot and it it works amazing, but we just we'll never know if we don't try it. So. Uh, I do give him some criticism for that, but at this point, it's tough to be confident in his in a lot of his decisions. So, I mean, his for example, he's he's scratched Spetsa this year. He's scratched he's scratched Patan this year. Um, and again, like if if Patan ends up being a pretty good contributor on on next year's team, uh, I'm gonna come back and say, you know, why wasn't he used earlier? What took so long? And then, like, I don't think there's if if you had someone like like Bracco for example, like Bracco can't go on a fourth line that's only getting defensive zone starts. So uh, I don't mind the idea of the kind of platooning players um, and having that defensive zone start line. I, I don't completely hate it, but right now when you need offense, uh, I think you kind of have to abandon that and adjust. And I mean whether it's Engvall, whether it's Bracco, whether it's whether it's Aberg, I'd like a little bit more offense there. Uh, on the fourth line and I think the other thing and kind of a big thing right now is a power play uh, we've gotten into that last week I don't know how much we put on Babcock how much we put on the assistants but that power play is is still going for a lot of one-timers and I just don't see that being success successful given their skill sets uh, there's no there's no Marner like it is a different look yeah and even with Marner they weren't looking that dangerous so right i don't even know if marner came back today that and they went to the same setup i mean they they went at least i don't know i think like 10 to 15 games with marner in the lineup and it didn't look that great so i mean the thing with the power play that just and we talked about this last week too but it's okay to try things out and i know this is something new and and they're on their their offsides now and they're trying that out but I mean, they need wins now. This is not, they're not an experiment. They're not supposed to be experimenting right now, given the situation that they're in. If they were like third place in the division or second place in the division, like they have in past years, I don't mind. You can try out different things and and really prepare for the playoffs. But for the last like four or five games, they needed a win. And the fact that they haven't gone back to something that they know has worked in the past is just mind boggling to me. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll see if they can, they'll change it back. But they changed it back about a, a week and a half ago for, I think, one power play where they put Marner and, and Matthews. A on. little bit. They, they did for maybe, I think it was one power play. And they immediately, like within 20 seconds of that power play, they had two dangerous scoring chances. Right. And then two power plays later, or a power play later, they went right back to it and haven't changed since. So... Uh, they changed a little bit, actually, with Nylander. I think it was two games ago where, as soon as Marner went out, they put him on the same size as last year. But and uh, but again, la- last game, they went to that same one-timer side. So I don't know if they're still experimenting or they, they truly think that that's the best power play that they have right now. But I don't think it is at all. Right. And, I mean, you, we both watch... We've both been watching the Marlies pretty consistently here. And their power play doesn't use the one-timer setup. And it's been outstanding. So it's just kind of, you watch that and you're like, okay, why can't we do this at the NHL level? Um, they clearly have the talent. I mean, I don't, and that's that's what I think is the biggest thing on the coaching staff is you have a power play with Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, and you have two choices in terms of your power play quarterback, whether it's Riley or Barry. Uh, why can't you make that work? I don't think that's necessarily on the players. I think that's a system thing. And, I mean, I, I've liked that Babcock's tried a few things this year. One being, I don't mind that power play for a week or two, test it out. I don't mind Kapanen at left wing for a week or two, test it out. 
But he's kind of, once he decides to try something, he's given it a long ride, even when it hasn't been successful. Yeah. And now I'm just at the point where it's like, give me back the old power play. Uh, I know we saw Nylander and Matthews on a power play a couple of years ago that, that was quite successful. I go back to that, put Tavares in the net front, uh, put Janssen in the slot, and, and you know, maybe you put Barry on the, on the point just for a different look, but... Uh, I'm I'm tired of point shots and I'm tired of the setting up one timers that just don't look effective. Yeah, and, and I know you'll you and I have talked about this and and you'll agree on this, but even I I don't think that the whole Barry going on the first line is really going to fix that power play at, at this point. I think that the the switching of Marner and Matthews on their on the the non one timer side is really the the. St- it shouldn't even be a secret. I mean, they've been doing it for three years and it's been working. Yeah. So I've seen a I've seen a criticism where everyone's blaming McFarlane on this and saying, well, it's not Babcock's fault. It's it's McFarlane that runs that power play. But I think that whenever something good happens, especially like when they signed Mikheyev, everyone was so quick to point out, oh, well, this was Babcock. Babcock had his his hand in this, and he he had a he had a, a he was the real reason why. They signed Mikheyev, and same thing with Tavares and, and some other things. But now, all of a sudden, Babcock's authority is, is somehow just shrunk now that McFarlane's there. Right. And all Babcock really has to say is, hey, like all you have to do is watch our power plays for the last three years. This is what's worked. Can we go back to that? Or we are going down back to that since I'm the head coach. So I don't know if that's just... It's it's tough of, to say. Out of simplicity, you can just say, "Well, blame McFarland." It is tough to say, but I think that still goes to Babcock. I mean, he's the head coach of that team, and he knows what has worked in the past. So, agree with he you. Should there. put his foot down if he sees it. Yeah, for sure. I don't care if it's McFarland. I don't care if it's Babcock. Just please fix the damn power play. Uh, they didn't have a power play that, since our last podcast. Oh, sorry, they've had a power play. They haven't had a power play goal since our last podcast. So it's been. Uh, the last three games, only even strength goals. Uh, part of that is just not getting too many power plays. But even when they do now, it just feels like they're not they're not going to capitalize. I mean, the, the second power play unit's been pretty invisible. Um, I remember a couple years back when you'd have two good units. Uh, you'd have the Marner JVR unit, and then you'd have the Matthews Nylander unit. Um, and then last year, you just had the one stacked unit. I, it just seems like we're so far removed from having two good units. Uh, I don't know what has to happen with the second unit. I know they don't get much much criticism, but like you need to figure out at least one of those two units, preferably the first, but I mean you can't the second can't be much worse either. So uh, that's that's a big focus, especially if you're not gonna score much at five on five, you need to have a successful power play, especially if the least want to go on a run here. Exactly. I mean any team, that wants to compete, especially in the playoffs, you need that power play to get going. We've seen good power plays and good goaltending, something that the Leafs will probably get come playoff time, really go far in the playoffs. So they need that They need that power play to get going, and, and I think that should be one of the most... I mean, also, you know, the, the creation of goals of uh, scoring chances at 5-on-5 five five is a big deal, but I think this power play needs to be fixed as soon as possible if they're going to be competitive and, and get into the playoffs. And in terms of the other thing I'd suggest is, I know I was mentioning earlier, like what matchup are you winning? And the Matthews line wins on most nights, um, but you can't win one of four and expect to win a ton of games, especially when you have a bad power play. So uh, I think the power play would take a little bit of pressure off of that if it, if it was successful, but I would probably give some help to that third line, that Spetsipatan line. Um, maybe I put Yance in there, maybe I put Kappen in there, because I think you need to give them a little bit more to win, so you, you have a chance to win that matchup as well. It's going to be tough on Tavares to, to win against dominant top line, but I just feel you need a little bit more scoring in that bottom six, uh, maybe a little bit more balance right now, um, because it feels like that Spezza line and that Gauthier line just don't have a ton of offense. And like I like Patan. Um, I like more, but, but more is hurt now. So, I mean, I wouldn't mind giving Bracco a shot. I know he hasn't, he's not a great play driver, but he was outstanding in yesterday's game. He's great on the power play. Even if you don't play him much, even if you just kind of use him for the power play, 
Like at this point, I just want a successful power play. I do not care what it takes. Do you? Would you be interested in giving Bracco a shot? I know he's a pretty controversial prospect, uh, but you've been watching him. Yeah, I agree with everything you say there. I'm, I'm kind of in between on whether you give him a shot. I think that you could kind of give the same thing to to Aberg, and and he'd also be able to probably not be as definitely not be as good in the power play. But I think five on five, you get more out of him. But right, I mean, honestly, I'm just okay with them trying something different. That third line right now doesn't really look dangerous at all, and you're virtually when they're out, either hoping that the other team doesn't score or hope that you know, the that shift just passes so you can watch Matthews. So it's not working right now and they need they need a spark. And I know people are gonna be listening to this and, and listening to all these lineup ideas and, and thinking to themselves that it's more of, of that this team in itself is just not really performing and, you know, lineup decisions aren't really gonna make a difference. But I think that if you do get some sort of production out of that bottom six right now to help out that first line, you could see them win some of these games despite not playing their best hockey. So so here's my Bracco pitch to you, okay? I'm going to pitch it. Are you ready? I'm ready. So I think the first reason, I think he's outstanding on the power play. I think he would legitimately help the Leafs power play. I know some people roll their eyes thinking, you know, how could a Marley help this power play, but... I think Bracco would be instantly on almost any team or pretty much any team. He would help any power play. He's an outstanding passer. He's got great vision. Um, and I think too, if you did put him, call him up, put him on a top power play unit. I do think it puts like it likely puts Matthews back on the side I want him to, uh, just because Bracco plays. Uh, he plays the right side, like the right wing side. Um, Whereas, I mean, if he, if he was playing with Matthews, Matthews is then probably not on his one-timer side. So I think naturally it just kind of helps the power play in that regard. I might put Nylander in the middle. I might give him Nylander his own unit. Uh, you can either put Janssen in the second unit or you put Nylander there. Uh, but the second unit should improve as a result. And then I just think, like, this is your time. You're not going to play him on the fourth line in a defensive zone role, but you could... You could put him with Spezza right now, that third line, say, create some offense, because this team needs 5-on-5 offense, and I think with his passing alone, he can just create chances. So I think this is a great time to get a look at him. You can kind of offset Marner's power play skill. You don't have to play him big minutes. Uh, I know he's not, he hasn't been a star this year, but he was outstanding last year in the AHL. I I just want a successful power play. Uh, I know Aberg's been... He could probably be a decent fourth liner, but I don't think he's going to move the dial all that much. I'll take him over the shore Goche duo because I just can't stand that duo right now. But um, I wouldn't mind Engvall either just because it's a little bit more offense over, over Goche. But I just want to see something different. Let's let's try something else. Um, and I think Bracco would just... I, I want that power play working. So... I mean, I'll settle for flipping Matthews and Nylander, but I wouldn't mind a more drastic change either. And at five on five, I think I missed it. So it'd be Bracco, Spezza, and then who's on that left wing? Uh, maybe Mikhaev. Like it could be okay. Mikhaev. I'd probably put some size with him. Yeah, and also someone who could score. I mean, Spezza is not really hasn't really shown that he's he can score very much, and Bracco needs someone that, or he doesn't need someone, but it would be helpful if he had someone that had decent finishing ability, but. Again, I mean, he's so good at just generating really good scoring chances that it doesn't. He doesn't even. I mean, Agostino got a hat trick yesterday, right? And I wouldn't really say he has an elite shot. He just had to hit an empty net. So, I mean, yeah, no, I think anything different at this point because this last two weeks has been really difficult to watch, especially that that bottom six. But I think it's time that we address the elephant in the room. So obviously, Babcock has taken a lot of heat. In the past year, really, and there was that article that came out saying that he potentially was going to get fired after the the Boston Bruins playoff loss last year, and now I, I know a lot of fans are are kind of hoping that he gets fired. So I'll put you on the spot here. If you're Kyle Dubis and if you're Brendan Shanahan, what would you do with uh, Mike Babcock? Well, they've lost five straight. I think they're going to be significant underdogs against Vegas. I think Vegas is such a tough place to play 
uh, A, the crowd, B, I think they just have an outstanding hockey team. Like I think that might be a top two team in the league. Um, so it, it could easily be six straight. Uh, at Colorado is a very tough matchup as well. Um, and again, Arizona, as you mentioned earlier, the good team. So at this point, I'm guessing he's going to Vegas. Um, I am curious how many losses it's going to take for him to, to get fired. I wouldn't mind a switch. I just want to see something different. I don't know if I'm, I'm as passionate about firing Babcock as others, but um, I mean, at some point, if, if they lose to Vegas, if they lose to Arizona, if they lose to Colorado, like even if they just win one of three this week, uh, I do think the seat's going to remain hot. I think he'd get fired any given day. Um, it would even shock me if he got fired tomorrow. Um, so, I, I I would probably, I do kind of want to see one more game here against Vegas and, and kind of go from there. If they get blown out again, then I'm definitely strongly considering it. Um, I don't know what it's going to take at this point. Like, I, I was... I was thinking he might get fired after that Pittsburgh game. Yeah, last night was definitely one of the the times where I was like, okay, I think this could happen. But, you know, once today hit and I was kind of reading Twitter and people were still upset. But once I started thinking about it, I mean, when, when I do think about that Vegas-Arizona-Colorado game, I think at this point, if you're looking to, to fire Babcock and, and put Sheldon Keefe in that role, that you want to set him up for success. And if you fired him today, for example, and let's say Keith has to come over and maybe they get a practice before the Vegas game, one practice, and now you have to play three good teams. If And I, I don't really think that one practice is going to really change too much about the Leafs. Um, and it's definitely not going to, they're not all of a sudden going to be playing a different system just because Sheldon Keith's been the coach for a day. Right. So... If he loses, if Sheldon Keefe loses two out of those three games, which is very possible because of, one, the Leafs aren't playing very well right now, two, they have their injuries and whatnot, and three, their opposition are good, that if you lose those two of those three games, all of a sudden the heat is really, really on Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan, and Sheldon Keefe. I know it's only three games, but you don't want to start off with a new coach on a bad foot. So I tweeted this today, and, and um, I thought I was going to get ratio on this one, but I got a little bit more support than I expected. But I said that if I was the Leafs, I would wait these three games out before really looking to fire Babcock because then they have a break from Saturday. They play Saturday against Colorado. Then they don't play again until Wednesday until, uh, against the Red Wings, which is also a road game. But at least that Sunday... Um, and then the Marlies also have a big break from Saturday, I think, to Friday. So at least that's a little bit easier on on that team as well. Because that's, I mean, Keith's been the coach there for a while too. So that that means something. No, I, um, I don't care about the Marlies. Like, from this perspective, I think I'm I'm okay with giving... It just makes it easier though. Yeah, like it'll definitely make it easier if they're playing Detroit and Buffalo rather than way out west. So, like... I get if and they're easier teams. I think that also makes a big difference where you can play the Red Wings and Sabres and get some wins there. Yeah. And really start to get some momentum for for Keith and the new team and and they're all feeling good. I'm okay with like I'd be okay with either way if they if they fired him today and they just said, you know, we're not getting the results we we want. I, I think I'd understand and if they waited another week, say okay, let's see how this West Coast swing goes and and we'll get a little bit of a better idea. Um, then I'm okay with that too. So I'm not overly opinionated there. I think I'm, I'm kind of, but I do, I do want to get to, cause I do see some, some dubious criticism out there. Uh, obviously he's going to be accountable for the coaching decision, whether he fires him, whether he keeps him, uh, that's going to be, it's going to be dubious and Shanahan that are accountable for that. So how much, because I do see people complaining about Dubis, about the team he created, that this team's just not good enough, that Babcock doesn't have the pieces. I do see some complaining about that. Um, obviously, he went out and got Jake Muzzin, which has turned out quite well. He went out and got Tyson Berry, which probably hasn't lived up to expectations. Uh, he's traded Marlowe and Zaitsev. Um, this was always supposed to be the toughest year in terms of a cap perspective, but how much blame do you put on Dubas at this point for these results versus Babcock? 
Uh, I think that's a million dollar question. I think that what we've learned over the last like two to three years is how difficult it is to know whether it's a GM problem or a coaching problem. Um, even when you see some people online and they're talking about the Islanders, I personally think they're good because of good goaltending and, and a really good, a well-coached team from Barry Trotz. Right. But I see people saying that the Leafs shouldn't have got rid of Lou Lamorello. Look at what a good job he did uh, with the Islanders. And then I look at their contracts and I say, I don't know if we're talking about the same team. So Right. I don't think... We can't evaluate GMs on just wins and losses. There is a process that need to fo- need to follow. Uh, I think Lou's gotten tremendous goaltending in the Islanders and with the Islanders, and that's been a, a huge part of the success. Um, the other thing is, is like the Komarov deal and with the Islanders looks awful. The Marlowe deal looks awful from day one. Here, uh, Lou was responsible for the Zaitsev deal that. It's the reason why CZ's on this team. Like I give, when I looked at the off season, going into the off season, I looked at the Leafs roster and said, you know, it's going to be tough for Dubas to do anything. I mean, Marlowe and Zaitsev, they they cost about over ten million, probably closer to eleven million, um, and they were. I didn't think he was going to be able to get out of those deals, and and he did. He paid a first round pick, but he got out of those deals, and and I think, I think he kind of had to trade Kadri just based on based on the last two playoff series. Um, so I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure how you could blame him. I know, I mean, you didn't really answer the question there. If you had to choose, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how much blame does does Dubis deserve here? Yeah, I was just about to get to it, but they... It's tough to say a scale, but I would say right now that it's difficult to kind of say the difference. So I would say maybe like a three, if anything. I think that he was in a tough spot uh, this summer with all the contracts and whatnot. And, you know, obviously he overpaid Marner. I think that's pretty objective at this point. But he showed that he can fill out a roster and and give us fourth-line options and, like, bottom six options and also fill out a D for very cheap. It's not really his fault that the fourth line, in my opinion, is being used the way it is. I mean, he has guys like, he's, he's signed guys like Agostino, Aberg, um, has guys from the Marlies like Engvall, he signed Matt Reed. He has guys that can potentially jump up and make that fourth line better than it is right now. So when it comes to the whole Marner thing and, and overpaying, I mean, I think I have some time for it. And I think that's a legitimate um, criticism against him. and. But really, you should. That should only be a real problem if if they're having a lot of trouble filling out the roster, which I don't think they really did. Um, once the the Hyman contract is up and the Anderson contract is up, then obviously those contracts, the the Marner overpayment might bite them a little bit more. But we can't really criticize him just yet, and we'll see how he he handles that. But I think at right now it's more of a coaching thing, more of a thing on the players, but. A lot of the criticisms on criticisms on Dubis are a little bit ridiculous. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I think again, you do have to give him some criticism for the Marner deal. I think you can give him some for the Barry uh, acquisition right now. And uh, but but overall, I've been pretty happy. I don't think there's another GM that I'd prefer at this point, um, or that like I'm not calling for Dubis's head by any means. I I wouldn't want Lou. I think he's a lot better than than Lamorello, uh, despite the wins and losses. I just think. Lou made too many poor decisions that that would hurt in the long run. Uh, I know the the wins and losses are there, but I don't know if the process was great. Um, so I mean, I, I I think it's it's part on the players. You could put you could give some blame to Babcock, or at least there's a lot of things that I do differently. Um, but I want to make a few more notes here before we get out of here. So uh, one, Rasmus Sandin seems to be injured. He missed the third period. Saturday's game, he he didn't play in the Sunday game. Uh, so, I mean, Robertson's already out, Lilligren's already out. Uh, seems like every top prospect is hurt, so I'm, I'm wishing him the best. Uh, another thing I'd say is Hollowell is now, he went from the ECHL to the Marlies. Uh, 
I, he is an outstanding skater. He just flies out there. So I'm I'm excited to watch more of him. I'm hoping he's he looks like he belongs in the AHL. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. I think Hutchison played today for the Marlies. Uh, I believe they got the win. I didn't see the end, but I believe yeah they won it. They ended up winning. So I'm hoping he gets his confidence up. Uh, like if he's playing well, I wouldn't be I wouldn't hesitate to make another quick switch because. Uh, it doesn't seem like Cascasillo is going to be playing much the next the next week. Um, and again, I know last week we said you wanted four points out of three. You got zero. So uh, I'll I'll give you the question again here for this week. So there's Vegas on Tuesday, Arizona on Thursday, and Colorado on Saturday. So three road games. Anderson should play in all of them. Uh, you have Matthews heading back to Arizona. You have Kadri. And, and it should be a good game for Barry, too. It doesn't look like Kerfoot will play, I don't think. But um, it, it should be maybe that's the game that gets Barry going. But how many points are you expecting here, hoping for, in order to be happy on the next episode? Um, well, when it comes to hoping for, I think you have to hope for three or four. I mean, they can't really afford to get two behind the eight ball, even though it's decently early in the season. But expecting, I'll go two. You're expecting two? What are you happy with? Three or four? Three or four, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I'll take three at this point. Like, I think I said that last, just because it was the last episode. Just because That's what you're expecting or hoping for? Hoping for. And expecting. And expecting. Like, I, I mean, I think you can win one of those. Which games do you think they get points from? Well, I think Arizona's the easiest one. I don't, I don't want to disrespect them too much, but I think that's the easiest one. And then... One of Vegas or Colorado. I think you can win one and, and get one to overtime. So uh, four points I'd be very happy with, uh, especially on, on the road here. Um, but I'll settle for three. So, I mean, I think the goal here is to get more than zero, like like what happened last time. Um, so Yeah, as long as we're not wrong and, and it's not three or four less points than what we guessed last week. Because this was... This was a tough week to watch. Right, so. but I mean, we got through the episode. It was gonna be a, it was gonna be a tough episode to get through. It was coming off. I mean, what five losses now? So, it next week. I think it was more optimistic than I expected it to be. I thought I, I thought I personally was gonna be a little bit more um, animated, but I think we kept our cool pretty good. Yeah, I think next week if they're coming off eight losses, it's it's gonna be a little bit. Scary. We might have to. Uh... Well, at that point, that's going to be a pros and cons of Sheldon Keefe, if we're being honest. That's what the episode's going to be about if they have three more losses this week. Yeah, I do think so too. I think if they lose three, that's that's it. So, I mean, yeah, and I would love to do that podcast because I think that right now it's all roses about Keefe, and I'm a huge, huge fan of him. But I mean. He's a human being too, and I think we we might be able to get into that. I mean, we put we filed our our podcast under the explicit for iTunes, so I think we'll earn it if they uh, we'll start to earn it at least if they if they drop the next three here. So uh, I think that's well, that's a wrap for this week. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah.